You are Locked On Utes, your daily podcast on the Utah Utes. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome into a Rebecca Black edition of the Locked On Utes podcast here on the Locked On Podcast Network. That is correct. We've got a Friday episode of the show coming your direction, and there's plenty of news, notes, and analysis. Lots of hot takes, lots of opinion, lots of crazy antics and theories. No, that's not coming your way because it's me here on a Friday. But we are going to talk about some breaking news that carried over from Thursday night. The University of Utah basketball program is going to welcome back a familiar face. We'll talk about where this came from, why it matters, and why it's best for the booth of us to move forward with the new acquisition. We're also going to answer your questions here as it's a mailbag episode of the Locked on Utes podcast, trying to kick your weekend off with a bit of a boost, getting to your questions, giving you all the hot takes and, and scorching hot answers and facts, information that you come here for. Without further ado, this is the Locked on Utes podcast for Friday, June 4th. 2021. It's a great day to be a Ute here on the Locked On Utes podcast, brought to you by the Locked On Podcast Network. And also brought to you by the Locked On Pac-12 podcast. That's right. Your boy Brown Bear sponsors his own podcast. There's no better place to get all of your Pac-12 conference news than the Locked On Pac-12 podcast. Hosted by my girl Cindy Robinson. Follow the Locked On Pac-12 podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hang out with me Mondays and Wednesdays. Hang out with Michael Luke Tuesdays and Thursdays. And then whatever awesome, interesting guests uh, Cindy brings on on Fridays. It's always worth your time. She hits on all the big topics for the Pac-12. Meanwhile, out here in Salt Lake City, I'm hitting on the big topic for the Locked On Utes, specifically the return of Booth Gotch to the basketball program. It was a shocking announcement, to say the least, as I don't know that anybody who might consider themselves an insider or in the know really had a solid inclination that this was coming. Gotch, for those who are not aware... Previously played at the University of Utah, was recruited by Larry Kriskoviak. The 6'6 athlete was a mixed bag of performance at the U. He was brought in to be a DeLon Wright type player, versatile wing defender with the ability to play the point guard position. The optimistic approach was always that he was going to be able to handle the basketball, that he could direct the offense, that he could be a long-armed, long-levered point guard prospect for the University of Utah the way that DeLon Wright had done in the past. But Booth's career never really followed that direction. He never really met his potential at the University of Utah. In fact, his departure was even a little bit different. It was during the heat of COVID, if I remember this correctly. I remember specifically Larry Kriskoviak releasing a statement that was strongly worded for Larry at the time saying, we have been very supportive of Booth entering the NBA draft to obtain valuable evaluations from team personnel these past two months. So this comes as a surprise to myself and our staff after learning of Booth's intentions to transfer. Although decision by Booth to leave was not something we had planned or hoped for, our program continues to move forward with our players who are driven and excited to be part of our Utah basketball family. Sometimes one's individual desires and goals don't always align with the program they are a part of. However, 
Our focus is and continues to be the players who are fully committed to our program, including our incoming recruiting class. And as we've gone back and forth time and time again talking about how Utah got to the point to where Larry Kriskoviak needed to be released from his duties as head coach, to where Utah's talent pool wasn't quite as strong as maybe they expected it to be as they progressed into the 2020 season, this all came on the heels of, of the COVID season happening. It was actually May when the announcement was made for Booth to enter in the transfer portal. He was exploring the option uh, to go in the draft. I believe at the time, so was Timmy Allen. So it was a very big surprise that he had gone home and likely it had some people in his ear telling, telling him that it was time to transfer from Utah. Whether it was family, friends, advisors, I have no idea. He ended up transferring to Minnesota. Things did not work out there. Uh, his coach, Richard Patino, son of Rick Patino, was let go at the end of the season this year. Minnesota's in a full upheaval. They've lost a ton of players going through the transfer portal. Booth was one of them. And at the time that he had entered the transfer portal to leave Utah, Utah State was rumored to be a destination that he was interested in. And so as we look back at the 2020 season for Utah, now they've lost Booth Gotch to the transfer portal. They lost Caleb Lohner that was supposed to be going through there. They lost uh, Norbert Thelissen, who also was supposed to be a 2020 incoming recruit, but had to reclassify to 2021 due to an amateurism issue. And so I think this explains the story of why Utah struggled so much in addition to everything else in 2020. And so it somewhat explains why Utah finished the season the way they did and where they did and why things are going to be a rebuilding phase for the next year or so moving forward. And then maybe even two years it really depends on how well this team comes together. And so I think the state of the Utah basketball program, in my opinion, and, and indicative of this was always going to be more than just making a change at the head coach. It was going to be a required rebuild if you're going to make that change. And I think a lot of the uh, incidents that occurred under the Larry Kriskoviak era at the end of his tenure, possibly preventable, although hard to argue with some of the things. I, I just don't think that kids wanting to go home like Booth or Caleb Lohner wanting to go to BYU for uh, whatever the reasons that he, he had for going to BYU. There were speculation that it was religious-based or family-based, whatever those reasons were. It's really hard to dissuade guys from those situations. Now... What happened is once once Booth goes home, things don't go according to plan, and so he's back looking for a more stable situation. He knows what to expect at the University of Utah. He knows some of the guys that he's coming back to. I think Brandon Carlson sent out a tweet saying that he was excited to see Booth come back. He's an athlete. He's a long wing guy. He's a good defender, although I don't know that we ever saw Booth necessarily meet his ceiling or his potential at the University of Utah, I think there's good reason to hope that he can do that with Craig Smith at the helm. I think some of the issues that maybe stand with Booth and, and the communication factors and everything like that weren't necessarily between he and head coach Larry Kriskoviak, but could have been in relation to others on the staff. Uh, and I think that with the staff that Craig Smith has in place, this staff I've always, always felt was going to be more friendly with the communication aspect with the players, a more buddy-buddy type staff rather than I'm the coach, you're the player type of relationship. I think Larry and company were a lot more, I don't want to say distanced, but they were 
they were very professional and they had very high expectations. I think this incoming staff realizes that they have a much bigger job to do than just being coaches. They need to be mentors. They need to be friends. They really need to nurture these relationships with these kids early on because they need to get some of these guys like Booth Gotch who have talent, who have potential, who have a high ceiling to really perform so that Utah can go after some of the higher end talent. I think that's been very, very evident by what's happened in the transfer portal and what we've seen as the turnover from Utah losing so much talent and not really getting equal amount of talent through the transfer portal has happened post Larry Kuskoviak. I don't want this to come off as me sounding like sour grapes that Larry got fired or everything like that. I think we've been over this. Everybody felt like there needed to be a move made. There are times where programs just simply hit dead ends. I saw this happen with Ron McBride, and there were people out in the streets who were crying about that one for years because Ronnie Mack was the best. He was the best man on the planet. He was great for the program. He did a lot of good things. Well, guess what happened? Urban Meyer came in, and I think Utah's done okay since then. So change can be good, especially after a decade under one person in charge, and especially after everything that the University of Utah basketball program went through in 2020. It was very drastic. So all that being considered, I think seeing Booth Gotch come back is very favorable for Coach Craig Smith. They had to get a guy like this. They just had not secured anybody with some length, with some ability to defend with some ability to be a point guard or backup point guard, and especially with the departure of Ryland Jones, that really put them into a tight spot. So Booth fulfills a lot of those needs. And the bigger part about it is I think he's already bought into Coach Smith's vision. And if he's already bought in at this point after a couple strikes out, maybe that's exactly what he needs to come in and work hard and be motivated. Some familiar, friendly faces around, guys who can push him and motivate him and keep him at his highest level. We've seen it a lot of times where in in players and coaches' histories where when they have a bad stretch or something doesn't go according to plan where they technically come home, and I put that in quotation marks because Booth obviously wasn't from Utah, but he spent a good amount of time here to the point to where it could be considered home. When they come back to someplace like this that's familiar, good things happen. And so I think there's a lot of reasons to be optimistic about this. It did come out of left field for me. Uh, and others that I've talked to about this, you know, sources, industry members, so forth and so on. This definitely was a surprise move from a lot of people. But at the same time, like familiarity, knowing the kid that's coming into the program, knowing the culture that you're building, all that stuff seems very, very much on par for or on brand for everything that Coach Smith has done since taking over the University of Utah. Is Booth Gosh going to be an all Pac-12 player next year? I think more than anything, that depends on Booth. And if Booth shows up, if Booth puts in the effort, if he buys into the program, if he helps out his teammates, if he stops focusing entirely on what Booth wants and starts buying into the team and playing team basketball and using his talents to benefit the team, I absolutely could see that happening. He could be a DeLon Wright-style player, and that absolutely would put the University of Utah basketball program into the middle, if not even the upper tier of the Pac-12 to have that caliber player. I also think it's a great recruiting tool to dangle out there as you're still trying to close Stephon Morris and whoever else might be entering into the transfer portal. As uh, was reported the other day that there are over 363 
excuse me, 353 players eligible for the NBA draft. There are only 60 spots open for the NBA draft. Now, some of those players are going to go play overseas and whatnot, but still, that is a massive amount of guys that most will likely return either to college programs to continue or play out one more year of eligibility if they aren't drafted, or for the few that go overseas, they'll continue to do that. So I think there's still an opportunity for Utah to find a lot of talent through the transfer portal. And Booth Gotch could be a nice, uh, nice bait. Uh, bait. Bait sounds kind of like fishy. Um, could be a nice lure to bring some of those players in to play with Booth. And also, it's it's a very convincing uh, recruiting pitch to say, hey, these are the guys that we're prepping to go to the NBA next year. This is what we've done in the past with these guys. Look at what we've done with Sam Merrill. Look at what's about to happen with Nimeish Keda. And they have this recent example of guys that they put towards the NBA or developed and then and given them the opportunity to succeed. And so for guys who are maybe on the cusp or the bubble, that could be a very enticing recruiting pitch. Plus you have immediate playing time at Utah and plenty of good surrounding players as well. So reasons to be optimistic in the return of Booth Gotch are definitely there. If you're somebody who prefers to be pessimistic, I guess the only thing I can tell you is I guess there's always next year. So on that note, we are going to move on to the important part of the shows. Just kidding. Well, maybe second most important. I think the most important part of the show is obviously news, notes, and updates. The second most important part of the show, we're talking about Bilt Bars. And Bilt Bar is my favorite snack. I actually ate one right before I started to record this. I needed a little bit of a jolt, a little sweet snack before bedtime and the best part about a built bar is that it's not just sugar that's going to get caught in my system drag me down make me sleep terribly blah 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 it's got 17 grams of whey protein in it whey protein is what you build your muscles out of and for a guy like me that clearly is into fitness and and you know more than just fitting this built bar back into my mouth Whey protein is a very critical component to rebuilding the muscles and the things that you you need inside of your body while you sleep and you, while you rest. So I eat my Build Bar and I feel better and all of a sudden this podcast is fire because I'm getting my whey protein. I'm under 200 calories. I'm under 5 grams of sugar. I'm under 4 grams of net carbs. All because Built Bar is the best tasting, best built protein bar on the planet. I will put that up against just about anything. If you can find a better tasting protein bar, please let me know about it because I will challenge you and, and I will bring my arsenal of coconut brownie chunk, my cookie dough crumble. Uh, I will bring my arsenal of cherry barcia, mint brownie, even some of the double chocolate, just the, the good old simple double chocolate. They had orange on sale the other day. I bought it, got myself a box of orange. All the flavors out there are just absolutely delicious. So give them a try. And when you go try your first box of Built Bar, you can order the variety pack, and you'll get 15% off. In fact, you'll get 15% off everything that you order at Built Bar with the promo code LOCKED15. That is LOCKED15 for 15% off. They have a variety of other products on the website. Go to BuiltBar.com. You can peruse all the wonderful products that they have there. You can order your box of Built Bars. They'll throw usually throw something really good in as well as part of it. But the best news of all is that you get 15% off. It's the best deal out there with the promo code locked 15 so go get your built bars it's the weekend time to load up and let's get built 
It's time for everybody's favorite segment on the podcast. That's right, mailbag. We're answering your questions. We're giving our takes. You guys drive the show. We're just the passengers. You're the Tesla. I'm just sitting in the seat. So let's get this thing started. We're going to kick things off with a question from our good friend, Dallas Nelson. Shout out to Dallas. Good friend, good listener of the podcast. Also a uh, former guest on my short-lived podcast. beehive boys podcast there are only two episodes up because uh, apparently when you don't pay the bill for your podcast hosting they take those away hopefully we'll get some of those restored one of these days but po- dallas asks what are the top three game day foods and where in the valley are the best places to get them i think anytime you're looking for a game day food you're looking for convenience you're looking for ease of access to that, and you're looking for something that's easy to eat in terms of either getting it to the stadium or, or if you're tailgating, something that's easy to get up there and you don't have to deal with too much if, if you're just going to be standing around. So number one on my list is absolutely Pretty Bird. I think the ability to go pick up a box of Pretty Bird, especially when you can order it online and pick up downtown, or you can go pick it up from the kiosk in person at the new location at Sugar House. It's super easy to go in there and order from the kiosk pretty bird has to be number one on my list second would likely be the pie pizzeria just simply because of proximity to the u now the one downside to pie pizzeria in my opinion is that if you're eating pie before a game that is a heavy heavy meal and so that's one where you kind of have to be a little bit careful what you're deciding to do now if you're uh, maybe going to eat at home and, and just sit on the couch and, and, and maybe take a nap at halftime. I think the pie pizzeria is a great option for you as well. Um, the proximity to the stadium obviously is a big key for pie pizzeria. Another option that I would throw out there to my chicken fans would be Trolley Wing Company and Sugar House, some of the best wings out there. You can get uh, a variety of flavors. My favorite is an off-menu called The Fam. That's P-H-A-M. If you go in there and request it, they should know what they're talking about. Shout out to Dan Sorensen, the legend of Ute Zone, for his love of wings and for his deep appreciation of that. Um you know, another one that maybe would be off the radar for some people's, I'm going to say B&D Burger. Uh, it's a campus favorite. It's close to the U. It's always reliable. I think that's another great one just nearby. Uh, this might be a category that we'll have to break down a little bit deeper because I think there are a lot of different options, right? There are places to go in person. I actually quite like going and eating at Lucky 13 pregame because you can jump on the train and head up to... Uh, Head up to the stadium that way if you're beginning writing tracks for the games. Uh, Lucky 13 has a great, great patio. They have a great uh, location, and it's going to be open up and rocking uh, full speed from everything that I've heard of. And, and obviously on a Saturday game day, the opportunity to get a mac and cheeseburger. Woo! Make sure you get it with bacon and jalapenos. So a lot of good options in that respect, but it's also one that we could probably debate in terms of proximity. There's a lot of good uh, stuff happening on 9th and 9th. You know, Liberty Tap House is one that I know a lot of people like to go to. If maybe a libation is on your your palate uh, desire. Uh, so we'll probably dive into that a little bit more as we get closer to the season. Talk about tailgating options. And, and obviously, this is one where we want your input full, 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 full steam. So thank you, Dallas, for that one and for knowing how much I love to talk about food. And hopefully you and I can get some pretty birds soon as we both love it. Moving on. Good friend at Lurchito Ute, also big fan of Orlando Umana, is Lurchito. He says, tell us about the DBs, please. 
Well, this would be the perfect opportunity for me to make a joke about, I don't know much about the Deutsche Banks or the DBs that you're talking about because I'm not one of them. I'm going to assume that you're asking about the DBs at the University of Utah. And I think in terms of what about them, this is the most talented group of defensive backs that Utah's had in a very, very long time. And I think this group has an opportunity at a very young, early age to make a massive impact. If you're wondering what the team thinks about Clark Phillips, they released their own highlight video of just him. That's how highly they think of Clark Phillips. Now, they did go out and make sure to secure a, a transfer in, in Brandon McKinney from Washington. I believe that that was more to secure some depth at the position than anything else. I think Utah is really, really high on Cole Bishop. I think Cole Bishop could step in and have the same kind of impact that Nate Ritchie did at the University of Utah, if not higher. Vontae Davis coming back, I've said it time and time again, is massive for the University of Utah. I've not heard an update on R.J. Hubert. I'm assuming that he's going through the rehab process, but I'm sure we'll find out more as we get closer to the season. Another name to keep an eye on back there in the in the safety zone is Kamoi Latu, and I think he's a guy that has a potential to, to really – Open some eyes. Now, some guys that I think we need to talk about a little bit more. I think Malone Mattaielli had a really, really strong spring. And from what I've seen and heard, he's been working out a ton, trying to improve, trying to earn his way onto the field. Another guy that I think we might be neglecting when we're talking about this is Zamaya Vaughn, who's mentioned multiple times by Kyle Whittingham. They love his length and his physicality at the defensive back position on the corner. Uh, obviously, I'm talking about safeties, but I also want to talk about DBs a little bit too, kind of mesh them together because that's what I do because I host the podcast. I, I feel like I've at least earned that liberty uh, for the most part. Uh, Fabian Marks, we, we saw his impact with his interception against Washington. Uh, to Travis Broughton, JT Broughton, another guy that I think had a tremendous impact. He might be the best tackler in the team, in my opinion, and he also might be one of the better cover guys. I don't know that he has the same kind of impact in terms of abilities to generate interceptions, but that's one that we'll find out. So, so now you're looking at four solid corner options with Aaron Lowe, uh, Lacrea Pleasant Johnson, Drew Rawls, uh, all in the mix as well. Uh, um, you know, uh, Kenzel Lawler, I think I said Kenzel as well. Uh, all guys that are there, backups provide depth. So it, it looks very promising to me. Um, I don't know that I'm going to go out on a limb and say that we have a Jalen Johnson type player on the roster at the moment in terms of just his physical size, stature, and ability. But I think that the way that Clark Phillips plays football could be that impact defensive back that we haven't seen at Utah in a very, very long time. And and I mean that ability to uh, cause disruptions, to make plays, to be super influential from the defensive back position. So that's where I kind of stand at the moment about the defensive backs. Rolling onward with our questions, we go to good friend of the program and always asking the good questions. Shout out to my good friend, Cycling Ute22, who is just, every time you ask a question, man, I love it. I appreciate it. It's always good to interact with you. I'm glad uh, that we've carried you over from the Blockcast days. Wishing you the best. I believe that he has a newborn at home, and I can only imagine what that's like. I'm dealing with a puppy who is six months old. That makes me want to pull my hair out. I can't imagine what having kids is like. But my good friend uh, asks, 
I'm listening to Andy Staples' podcast where he's talking about a Bama bump in recruiting. Is there a Utah bump, even if just localized? It's a great question. So some of this depends on recruiting uh, services that you use. So rivals, I don't know as much about them. I do know a lot about the 24-7 process. The Bama bump that Andy Staples is talking about is that Jerry Judy, I think, is a perfect example of this, right? So he was a three-star player coming out of Miami, goes to a camp at Alabama, kind of takes a shot on himself. Saban goes down, talks to him, offers him on the spot, and suddenly he goes from a three-star player to a five-star player his senior year. Now, a lot of that is just ability, but it's also the fact that now all of a sudden with Bama focusing their attention on you and giving you a legitimate, committable offer, especially right there, then and there on the spot, that usually adjusts how they perceive your ability to make to the NFL. And so that's why the Bama bump, even though Bama, Clemson, I think Ohio State, Oklahoma, when these programs get involved and offer hard, committable offers, it does increase the rating of a prospect because those programs have been so successful at sending players to the NFL. How does this relate to Utah? Well, With 24-7, I think what has really become evident is that when Morgan Scally offers a defensive back in the state of Texas, almost every single uh, recruiting analyst for 24-7 will double back and take a second or third look at that player, either to make sure that they know that they haven't missed anything or to take a fresh look at them and see what it is that Morgan Scally sees in them that perhaps they didn't. In a place like Texas, there are so many players that can be a little bit drastic trying to review all those films. But I think a few examples in in years past, Aaron Lowe was a prospect that got a Utah bump or a Morgan Scally bump. Another one, Drew Rawls, was such an under-the-radar prospect that I don't know if he had a full rating at the time that he was offered by Utah or the time that he committed. And I think Utah likes to keep some of those guys under the radar for that very reason, because when Utah offers, everybody else follows, and the recruiting analysts will all take a second look. And Scally has become so good and so adept at identifying safety talent that he gets his own bump just by offering and committing guys. And that happened with Drew Rawls. It happened uh, with uh, with Aaron Lowe. I believe Kenzel Lawler may have gotten a bump. Uh, Darian Stewart. Sorry now known as Blue Stewart. Also, a fun little update on him. I believe he is now living with T-Boney uh, Smith-Young. Young Smith? Young Smith. Uh, Tyrone Young-Smith, who, for whatever reason, has become the like team mentor and, and getting all these guys in the gym, getting these guys working out, getting these guys uh, proper nutrition. He's become like a big brother to a lot of guys. So uh, he's mentoring Blue Stewart. Like he, he's he been a big impact guy on uh, Bama Laseni. So we all love to talk about Britton Covey being there for seven years. This seven-year program for Tyone, Tyrone Young-Smith, where he's going to graduate with his PhD in football, he's actually becoming a huge impact guy off the field and getting these guys uh, to develop, you know, in terms of eating habits and workouts and everything like that. Kind of a uh, fun little aside. Like, don't put, like, every egg in that basket, but just, you know, I thought I'd drop a little bit on you. So, anyways, back to the original question. There is a bump that comes with that. Is it the same kind of bump that comes with Alabama or Clemson? Not entirely, but a lot of times what will happen is a 
maybe a lower two star or a mid three star will go to four stars. And essentially what that means, just a quick refresher, a three-star is usually a reliable starter on a Power 5 team. A four-star means that they usually will have an opportunity to make it in the NFL. A five-star is an almost guaranteed uh, NFL prospect down the road. And that's where we talk about stars mattering, right? Because almost, I believe it's 60% of the time, they uh, the services hit on these five star recruits. It's the highest percentage of guys that actually make it from high school to the NFL. And so when you're rated as a five star recruit, it's it's saying not so much that you're going to be the best player in the history. What it is is it's rating your uh, probability of making it to the NFL. And they are pretty pretty darn predictive when it comes to this stuff. Now, does a star determine how well you're actually going to play when you get to a program? Absolutely not. And that's where I think stars don't matter. Uh, it's fun to get ratings. It's fun to have stats to, to point out your friends and say, hey, we're an 89 overall as a team. It means absolutely nothing when you roll the ball out there. And it's one of those times where you need to put the spreadsheet down and actually watch watch what's going on. So, but that being said, the Utah bump that I think really comes in recruiting and it's super obnoxious is watch how many guys get offers when Utah will offer a player. And I've talked about this on the podcast previously that Utah, every time they offer a kid in state, he almost immediately gets an offer from USC and ASU. And some of that is trolling. Some of that is just their Oh, pitter-patter, let's get at her, and trying to nip at Utah's heels. Some of it is they're probably trying to poke the bear a little bit with Kyle Whittingham and just disrupt the process as much as possible. Some of it is that a lot of these programs don't do the research that Utah does and look into players. And so I think that is another aspect of the Utah bump that maybe we don't see in the actual ratings, but what happens on the recruiting trail, I think we've seen it with Carson Tabarachi got an offer from Utah and then gets an offer from USC almost immediately after we're seeing it with Cody Hagan and Harrison Taggart. I think both of them picked up offers from Oregon. So I don't know. That's probably where I would put more validity in what Utah's able to do. I know for a fact that there was a coach in state, not at the University of Utah, that every time he would offer a player uh, outside of the state in California, there was a Pac-12 program that would immediately offer the exact same player at that position. And it was the most ridiculous thing. And I just... Uh, it, it happens though in this industry, and and you know I think the the idea is always that the most competent, the best coaches always rise to the top, and that's simply not the case. Some of these guys are guys that are just able to last the longest and or get by based on doing shoddy work, and I think that's the important part of what Kyle Whittingham has built. I think it's why a lot of his coaching staff stays around with Kyle because he develops his coaches. He and Andy Reid are very similar in this regard that they put a lot of emphasis into coaching their coaches as much as they do coaching the team because the better your position coaches are, the better your units are going to be, the better your units are going to be, the better the overall side of the football is going to perform, and obviously the better each side of the football performs, the better your team performs performance is going to be and the more wins you're going to rack up so a very long-winded response to that but yes there is a utah bump uh it is definitely more than just local i think there are several analysts that i've talked to along the 24 7 network that really perk up and take notice anytime utah offers a certain player I, the cody hagan and harrison taggart i think are, are prime examples of that 
And as we continue down the road with the podcast, I just lament that there's not a such th- such a thing as the Utah bump when it comes to gambling. Uh, but the good news is that we have the version of Utah football in gambling sites with betonline.ag. Maybe you're one of those people that likes to go out and bet with pettiness in their heart or some hate in their heart, and you wanted to bet against a team in L.A. that likes to play basketball. You probably would be pretty happy this morning, and I would congratulate you for that. And that's why Bet Online is the best because you can go there instantly. You can place your bets. You can get that payout, and you can go and, and load up and, and put more money down on whatever it is that you want going on. There's plenty of NBA games to be betting on. Lots of cool prop bets with that. Maybe you are going to bet that the Jazz would score more than 40 points in the first quarter. Boy, is it your week then if if you hit on both of those bets. The best part about going to betonline.ag, other than the fact that it is very easy to use, simple to sign up, you can do it on your your laptop, your mobile device, wherever it is that you access the internet. I, maybe you have some cool machine that I've never heard of that you can get on the internet with. I bet you can get to betonline.ag with it as well. You'll get a welcome bonus of 50%. That's 5-0, so plus 50 in whatever it is that you're getting. Uh Quick maths. If you put down a thousand dollars, that gets you fifteen hundred in your betonline.ag account. That's five hundred extra dollars to play around with, and you can put it on just about anything. There, are, we talked about cricket being a sport that's out there. So, go to betonline.ag, set up your account. It's super easy. Use the promo code Locked On, and you'll get fifty percent extra credit in your betonline.ag account. Betonline.ag. It's your online sportsbook experts. Finishing out a mailbag edition here on the Locked On Utes podcast, mixed in with some good Booth Gotch news. It is time for our favorite segment of the show, the Punts for Utah deliberation segment, a.k.a. where we try to figure out exactly what it is that Punts for Utah is trying to ask in a multi-tweet question that probably could have been asked in one sentence. Now, I kid about the last part, but our good friend Punts for Utah uh, always does send in interesting questions and usually gets about a segment uh, worth of conversation out of it from me and did not disappoint this time around he teased me earlier in the week he or they i guess i should say they teased me that there was an offensive line question coming for the mailbag so let's get to it he says here's the lineman question utah recently missed the top five for in-state lineman george miley miley plays at bingham it sounds like because he's an interior guy and we only need tackles we didn't push for him now i understand the physical traits needed for the position I also understand that Utah likes traits for players like defenders with long arms to miss fewer tackles, etc. But why is Utah so, so picky on O-line and take on projects like Falcon Kamatule and pass up higher-rated talent that play inside when maybe our best offensive lineman is Nick Ford, who plays all positions? Plus, we get players who are good that don't fit physical ideals for positions, such as Sewell, Keithy, Tupai, and half the DBs seem to play all positions, including wide receiver. I guess I don't know the question, but I'd like some more explanation on this. It feels like if that Miley was a, at a different position, Utah would try to fit him in. But since he's inside of the line, there's very little interest. It's a good question. Let's break this down piece by piece. The first player that you mentioned in this uh, outside of George Miley was Nick Ford. Nick Ford was recruited as a tackle. So if Nick Ford was recruited as a tackle, he's now playing a center. The obvious correlation to make with that is that if you can play tackle at that level, then you likely can play guard and you can likely play center. 
The biggest factors in being able to play the interior positions are twofold. Strength and the ability to bend. And if you can play tackle, you likely already have the athleticism to do all the above. If you're recruiting a player like George Miley, you better be absolutely convinced that he is going to be the best guard in the Pac-12 moving forward. If you're asking for my personal opinion, I'm not convinced of that. I don't think he's going to be the next Quentin Nilsson at the guard position. Number one. Number two. You're returning a player at right guard with Satao Laumea, who was honorable mention all Pac-12 as a freshman. And he's only going to get better. And he's got two more years. So George Miley might not even want to come to Utah to play guard, even if they did want him. So these are all factors you have to weigh when you're pursuing kids because you're trying to allocate your time and how best to use it. Now, the question is, why, would you, why wouldn't you go after a proven, rated player like George Miley when you could go after an unproven, unrated player like Falcon Kalmatule? Because Falcon's physical traits and gifts are off the charts at the position. Most of you have never stood next to the man, and I say man on purpose, because he looks like the Polynesian version of Thor from the Avengers. And I'm not elaborating, I'm not exaggerating. Ask anybody who's ever been to practice. He is the first off the bus kind of guy. He is just built different, literally. And so that kind of athleticism, that kind of ability is incredibly hard to recruit as a five-star talent. Utah's just not going to get those guys. They tried with Sean Ryan a few years ago. Guess what? He ended up starting as a freshman at UCLA because he's that good. Utah was right there neck and neck right up until the end of it. Ryan didn't want to leave Southern California, so he chose UCLA. He's also likely going to play in the NFL on Sundays for a very, very long time. So Utah's trying to identify the right guys without a doubt. They knew that Sean Ryan could play guard, that he could play tackle, he could play both positions, he could slide inside if they needed him to. But if they got Sean Ryan at tackle and then Falcon Kamatule suddenly pops, it's super easy to move Sean Ryan into guard and you have two elite level athletes playing on the offensive line. And the biggest struggle for most offensive linemen is they did not grow up as athletes. I was never considered an athlete growing up. I was always considered a big guy that was just really strong. Nobody ever thought that I had great foot speed. Nobody ever watched me in the low post and watched how effective I was with the drop step or how well I could box guys out or how quickly I could slide on the pick and roll when I played in basketball. Nobody thought that was transitional into the football field until I hit to college. And all of a sudden they started seeing all these traits in me when I tried out at Snow College and were like, wait a second, this guy has a lot of athletic ability outside of just being big. And so that's where... It makes more sense to go after the Falcon Comatules, the Luke Felix Fulalalos, uh, the uh, Tanoa Tongiais of the world who have this elite athleticism, this elite length. It's why Simi Moala has always been so high on my list. Like If you've got a 70-inch reach on a guy, that's 70 inches of space you have to work with. That's so much space. That's so much room for activities, and it makes it so much easier to do your job on the offensive line. And that ability, that length can really compensate a lot for things that maybe you aren't good at. Maybe you aren't an elite bender. Maybe you aren't elite at moving your feet quite yet. Maybe your read and recognition skills aren't like mine were after playing football for almost 15 years. And so that allows you to be a little bit 
better on the field at fighting through the mistakes and overcoming errors that you're going to make no matter what because you're not a perfect product and no offensive lineman really is. I've talked about Sean Ryan on this podcast at UCLA maybe more than I ever should have, but he's probably one of the more impressive offensive line prospects I've ever had the opportunity to watch. And even Sean Ryan isn't perfect. He got his butt kicked a couple times, and I believe even by Utah once. He he you know, he got a taste of his own medicine. And so those kinds of gifts allow you to perfect your craft without demoralizing yourself and your confidence and everything like that. I think what we've seen from Simi Walla, his ability to bounce back after uh, uh, a lot of trial and a lot of error and a lot of difficulty and his mental fortitude and his mental toughness, I think that's going to pay a lot of dividends down the road. I think we're seeing and hearing similar things about Bam Oleseni, that his his mental side of the ball and, and his motor are finally catching up to his physical gifts, and they're all coming into cohesion with this synchronicity. I'm going to use a lot of buzz terms like synergy and 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 whatever else they use out there in, in those tech spaces. Uh, they're all coming together to work in a more positive manner, and that's going to allow him to be more successful. I, I don't know that people in their day-to-day lives – realize how difficult it is for athletes who have excelled for their entire lives to experience failure. And it was something that really limited me as a player. It's something that I really struggled with as an athlete. And it was something I had to go see a sports psychologist about. And it really changed my outlook. Once somebody grabbed me and pulled me aside, it's why I talk so much about growth mindsets. It's why I love Ted Lasso so much. It's all why be a goldfish is such a critical piece to coaching. It's why Quinn Snyder talked about it so much, because if you can build confidence and you can fight through the errors and the details and the difficulties, then you're going to improve. This circles back around to we get players that are good that don't fit physical ideals for positions such as Sewell, Keithy, Tupai, Atha, DBC, and play all positions, including wide receiver. Yeah, that's true, but they also fit the physical profile that the University of Utah had for them at some point in time. That's why official visits are so important and why it was so difficult this year. You want to get players in there so that you can get their measurements in person. You can see exactly how long they are. You can see how long their arms are. Maybe a guy is 5'10", but he's got you know a 6'5 six, six, wingspan. Uh, you know, Marcus Williams is a guy that stands out with some elite athleticism. His explosion, his ability to jump, that I can make up for a few inches here or there. Uh, another thing with uh, Nephi Sewell is that he played himself into that position. I think that's a big part of it. And so while you're not out there recruiting those guys, why would you go take a chance on a dude that's not going to fit the profiles that you know work in terms of athleticism? Because you maybe think he could fit it when you could take the guy who does actually fit the profiles and you have the same amount of optimism. I think we oftentimes get hung up on these guys that break through and ah oh, Devon Vailey what a great story I can't believe he wasn't recruited like there are reasons for it those reasons haven't really changed what's changed is that he's worked so hard and he's evolved as a player to where he's overcome those so they're not completely limiting him from being effective on the field like Nephi Sewell is still going to be two inches short to make some tackles, but we don't identify those on a regular basis when we talk about things. We talk about how great he is and how versatile he is because he does make a lot of plays. And I think Nephi is a great example of this because he makes those plays in spite of the fact that he's not the ideal size for the position. Now, contrast that with Devin Lloyd and tell me which one you'd rather recruit. Because while Nephi Sewell is definitely adept at his job, and I do think he has potential to play at the next level, 
I don't think anybody's taking Nephi Sewell over Devin Lloyd. He's going to be a 10-year NFL veteran. He's likely going to be a day one or a day two pick. And I've seen him up close, and he's incredible. And he's a developmental guy. Everybody recruited him as a safety. Utah took a chance at him as a linebacker. He developed. He expanded in the position. And he's turned out to be an absolutely diamond-in-the-rough type prospect. And so to bring it full circle, that's why you go after tackles. That's why you go after these developmental guys. Because if you can land another Devin Lloyd at the left tackle position, or if you can get three or four of those to, to stagger over the next three or four years, imagine not having to worry about the left tackle position for the next four seasons at the University of Utah. Then you can go after the George Miles, right? Then you can go after the guys that are maybe tweeners or, or, or don't have a set position. You also have a fully loaded roster right now of guys that play the guard position. There's Satao Lomea, there's Braden Daniels, there's Keaton Bills, there's Jackson Garcia, the walk-on who started in the spring game. There's Alex Harrison, there's Hunter Lotulele, there's Johnny Maia, who, remember, started at the University of Utah at one point in time and then got injured, and, and as things got shuffled around, kind of got left out of the rotation, but he's still there fighting, so... Why would you bring in George Miley and re- use a position or an initial or a scholarship, especially in a very, very small class, on a guy that you don't really need, especially if you've got all these guys at tackle that you can play at that position as well? So that got really out of control, but uh, I always, always appreciate uh, Utah Punt Team for asking these kinds of questions. I think these are the type of things that I'm really great at explaining because I've been on that side of it, and I've also been on the other side of it. I've coached before. I've had to, to make these decisions and move players around and, and experiment, and I do understand where fans are coming from. And, and the hardest part about being a fan, and I've said this time and time again, is that you get such a limited view of the pitcher. If it were the Mona Lisa, you get the smile. And I wish there was a way to bring fans inside the, inside the doors and inside the huddle for a year and let them experience what it really is like. Because I think the biggest thing that would be opened up to the, open their eyes to is the fact that all those things that seem like mystique or mysterious to you would end up becoming very rote in day to day. It's just like any other job out there. But also, I think you would realize that there are so many conversations that go on behind the scenes and so many factors that go into this that we don't even realize. And that's that. That's what I try to do as much as I possibly can is share my experience in, in the few lessons that I've learned in my very short time in, in positions that are nowhere near what are going on at the University of Utah. But uh, thank you, as always, for all the questions. This was a very long episode. So for everybody who hung in there, I appreciate you. I love you. You know how I feel about you. We like you. We love you. Thank you, as always, for tuning in. Remember, be well, stay well, do well. We'll be back next week with a full slate of episodes. Remember, we are back to three days a week. Most likely, it'll be Monday, Wednesday, Friday. We will keep you updated as that that unfolds. This has been the Locked on Utes podcast. For Friday, June 4th, 2021. And we will talk to you again on Monday.